0: Good afternoon. It's great to be worshiping with you here this afternoon. Uh, You may have noticed that Brian and I have switched roles this Sunday. Early on when we were talking about what we wanted for Manhattan Presbyterian Church, and in particular the ministry of the Word, Pastor Brian and I talked about how we wanted to systematically go through books of the Bible, how we wanted to take portions of text and work our way through, so not to ignore any piece of text, but to have to address the whole Bible. Also part of this, Pastor Brian suggested that we'd like to hear elders preach on occasion, in addition to himself. For some reason, I said that might be a good idea. Over the last couple weeks, I've been thinking that probably was the worst idea I've ever agreed to. (laughs) But it has been a blessing. It has been a time of learning, a new appreciation for what it takes that goes into sermon preparation. So for that, Brian, I thank you for putting me through that. So today, here we are, we're systematically going through the book of Philippians. And I have the privilege to expand this portion of text that we have before us. Up to this point, what have we been seeing Paul express in his letter to the church in Philippi? Chapter 1 starts with thanksgiving for the church's partnership in the gospel. The rooting in the gospel that is necessary to increase in both the knowledge of Jesus and their love for Jesus and others. Bearing spiritual fruit. We then see Paul rejoicing even in his own imprisonment, since it is advancing the gospel. A wide range of influence has now been introduced to who Jesus is and his gospel. Paul is facing death, and he has no fear of it because he knows what is eternally true that whether he is to remain alive or to die, it is all about Christ. This is making the church to be bold in the advancement of the gospel with this truth. When we move into the second chapter, Paul tells the church to stay firm, to have unity in the gospel, and love for one another. This is done not only through a unified knowledge of what is true, but also through humility and love for and serving alongside one another. The only way they will all withstand the trials to come. Last week, Pastor Brian shared with us how we're enabled to be humble, in obedience, as Christ humbled Himself, from a position of glory in heaven to a lowly position as as man, while still fully God, and humbled Himself in obedience to death, even on the cross. And so, now with this backdrop, we have the text as before us this afternoon. I'd ask that you turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter two. Today we will be going through verses nine through eleven, but I'd like to start where we started last week at verse five. This passage of text that has been called the Hymn of Christ. Let me read for us. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, let's use the responsive text in your bulletin. That is the promise given to us in Isaiah. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you for the accomplished work of Christ, that we can be reconciled to you through faith in Jesus. Lord Jesus, you are our Lord, and we praise you. We pray that your name be lifted up here today. Holy Spirit, We ask that you would open our hearts and minds to hear what you would have for us today. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen. In this hymn, Paul begins by reiterating that we are to be of one mind. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Here he goes on to further explain what we have to be one mind about. He goes on to describe Jesus, who before all things, he was God. We saw how Christ emptied himself, and through obedience and love for the Father, he humbled himself to death on the cross. What a low point we were left with last Sunday, to reflect on the necessity of this. Because of our sin, our rebellion, the curse had to be taken. Christ had to bear the outpouring of the wrath of his Father for our sins there on the cross. However, today in verses 9 through 11, we see God's response to this. We see all of creation's response. And know that this is the power that enables us to be unified in the gospel and humbly serving others. Look at your text starting in verse 9. Let's read this passage. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Our text starts with the word, therefore. This is a frequent word that Paul likes to use in his writings. It's another way of putting it would be, because of, or by this reason. Paul is making a logical statement that on the basis of what he just said, Christ's obedience to death on the cross, the following is also true. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. In response to Christ becoming obedient to death on the cross, God has exalted him or lifted him high. Not only exalted, but Paul uses the term hyper or super exalted. That is, there is nothing higher. There is no equal to Jesus' exaltation. This is counterintuitive to the world's way of thinking. We see every day that in order for people to think more highly of us or to gain more positions of respect and authority, we need to do things that promote our own name, highlighting the great things that we have done, downplaying the not so great. But opposite of this logic, we see Christ being raised to super exaltation only after he had taken on such great humility, a humble servant, obedient to death. We can see Christ's exaltation in the past, the present, and the future. We see that God has exalted Jesus in history, in real time and space. After his death and burial, he was raised from the dead and resurrected up to heaven. This is proof that he is the perfect and acceptable sacrifice for our sins, that he conquered death for us. We know that Jesus is exalted today. After his ascension, he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, He told us what he is doing now through his word. He is sovereignly ruling over the affairs of man. He is being worshiped, and he is making personal intercession for you and I with the Father. In Psalm 110, we read The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The same passage from the Psalms is quoted more than 20 times in the New Testament. We know that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, now, waiting for the appointed time. We know at that time that Jesus will be exalted when he comes again. We know this to be true because Jesus has promised that, and he will return. Paul refers to this as the day of Christ, a final resurrection. Christ will subdue his enemies for good and usher in his kingdom of righteousness. Part of Christ's exaltation is that God the Father has bestowed on him a name that is above every name. We see that Jesus Christ is Lord. That of all the names for Jesus, this also has a set-apart title, the Christ. With a set-apart authority, Lord is given to him. So what's in a name? Outside of our Western American culture, the last name that you are born with is what most people know. That's how they know you. If they don't know anything about you as an individual, it tells something about what region you may have come from, maybe what social economic class your family's from. It tells something maybe about your family's values. Quite often, if you meet someone from the Far East, they will introduce themselves with their last name first and then their given name. This is how they were given their identity. Your last name gives you your heritage, an identity passed on from generations before you. First names also give identity to who we are. Parents-to-be often go through this thinking process when trying to come up with a name that aligns to something that they value or feels would identify with their child. Some don't think names are important at all, that the individual should be defined independent of any name. I remember being introduced to twin children's names when I was in college. The boys were Lamangelo and Orangelo. But when written down, it appears as lemon jello, orange jello. Obviously, these parents did not care about the name-giving unless it had some meaning that I cannot fathom uh, some importance to them. But others do look to the names of family members they cherish, great historic figures, biblical characters even. All names that have some significance to those naming the children. Names help us identify who a person is or where they come from, but isn't necessarily the basis for any authority or respect. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to attend a ceremony uh, at the post of Fort Riley, a change of command ceremony. We've been to Fort Riley a few times and each time I start to learn a little bit more of how to behave and how the the post works. Uh, First of all, when you pass through the entrance gates, the guy with the hand raised It's not asking for a high-five as you drive by. Uh, (laughs) He wants to stop and talk to you. Also, when they uh, share with you, I think the command is duty first. Is that right? The proper response is victory. I think I get that right. But we keep learning. When Brian and I traveled together and we got onto the, the post for this first ceremony, this is the first ceremony I've been part of, we felt completely out of place. We felt welcomed. Everyone there was was very gracious to us. But here we were in our civilian-looking clothes, the way it dressed really nice compared to what Brian and I normally dressed like. But there, you know, there was a few other civilians there, family and friends. But for the most part, everyone was in military uniform. We just not, we didn't fit in. Everyone looked like they knew what they were doing. They knew, looked like they knew why they were there. We were there before the, before the ceremony started. Uh, we were just having a casual conversation, and all of a sudden, we heard a command barked out in the room. All of those that were in military uniform stood out at of attention, said something in response. I think it was a salute. I'm not sure exactly what they said. But Brian and I looked at each other like deer in the headlights. What do we do? We want to show respect. We don't know exactly, are we supposed to salute or what? So we just stood there and everyone then went to at ease or whatever it's called and went back to the regular conversation and we said, what in the world just happened? Well, apparently a, a high-ranking officer had just entered the room. His presence was announced to all those that were there. The proper response to those that were acknowledging his title, his rank, his authority, were saluting him. Yet, we, as far as I know, Brian and I were not under his authority. Maybe someone can explain how that works. <laughs> but it was quite obvious those that were, knew his authority responded in turn. So that was an interesting story that we see that the rank of Christ... Has meaning for us. We see that Jesus was given a name. He was also given a sacred title, the Christ. This was the Greek word for what Israel knew to be the Messiah. The promise from of old, the anointed one that would deliver and bring blessing to Israel. We also see that Jesus is given authority and meaning to his name Jesus Christ is Lord. The word Lord here is kurios, which means master or supreme authority. In Rome at this time, when the leadership decided that the Caesar should be a god and be worshipped as a god, they would have a deification ceremony. And after that point in time, they would call everyone to confess Kaiser Curios, or Caesar is Lord. People, primarily Christians, who did not confess this and worship Caesar as a god, were persecuted or executed. With Caesar, the power was given to him by his people, and he only had authority as far as his kingdom extended. Paul is not quoting something about Caesar at this point, though, even though those in Philippi would certainly be familiar with this term. Rather, he is directly quoting a prophecy here from Isaiah. Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 45, if you will. We'll read this passage from a section where the prophet Isaiah is dealing with those worshiping Baal all around him. Isaiah 45, we're going to start in verse 22. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord, it shall be said of me, are righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Some 700 years later, here in Philippians, we see God is revealing how this prophecy in Isaiah will be accomplished. We see that in Isaiah, the Lord Yahweh Jehovah is now being directly attributed to Jesus Jesus will be the person through whom this will be accomplished unlike Caesar and other rulers of this world whose authority is established by man God the Father has bestowed or given this authority to Jesus the creator of all things is the only one to have authority over all things to be clear Jesus is not just a prophet. Jesus is God. Scripture is clear. There is no other way to be made right with God. There is no other authority that is not under the supreme authority of Jesus Christ our Lord. We not only see that God the Father has highly exalted Christ, has bestowed authority over all things, but we now see that all things under his authority will respond. Back to verse 10 in our text today from Philippians 2. So that, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. First of all, notice the scope of all that will respond. Every knee, every tongue, on earth, in heaven and under the earth. All beings in heaven... Those created angelic beings are now and will continue to worship and confess Christ as Lord. All beings in earth, where we are today. All beings under the earth, the demonic spirits, and those in Hades or hell who have passed on. The scope of all who will respond to Christ is this. Every being that has ever been created, since the author of this authority is the author of all creation. He is the only one with his authority. Notice the response of all these beings to acknowledging the Lordship of Christ. First of all, every knee should bow. Here we see a posture of humility before Jesus. Those that are trusting in Christ and acknowledge him today should humbly come before our Lord with thanksgiving. Every tongue confess. Confess here, meaning to say the same thing about or to acknowledge something to be true, true without any reservations. This is the posture of our worship, humbly coming before our Lord, lifting up his name and confessing that he is Lord over everything, over, over every aspect of our life. For those that do not confess Jesus to be Lord over your life today, consider who Jesus is consider what the whole of Scripture testifies that he is, and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died for your sins, and that it is only through his, this faith in Christ that you can be made right with God. There's a very serious warning here for those that do not acknowledge Christ as your Lord today. The statement we have before us, every knee bowing, every tongue confessing, When that day that has been appointed, as we read in Psalm 110, showed us, when our Lord shall subdue his enemies for good, this will not be a voluntary and cheerful confession of thanksgiving. Rather, this will be a humbling, acknowledging to a conquering Lord. Later in chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul is saddened by those he describes as walking as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. In other words, they love the here and now. They love the things this world can provide them and cherish the material things that help them get through this life. They do not see or even care for the eternal things that matter. Because God has lifted up Christ, there is not only a demand but also an ability to worship God through Christ our Savior being made right with him. For those who do acknowledge that Christ is Lord, walk humbly before our God. Worship him and exalt his name. Rejoice, you serve a risen Savior, a conquering Lord who has conquered death for you, a Lord who has richly blessed you beyond your comprehension by sharing his inheritance with you. Share with others what Christ has done so they can know about Jesus and how to be made right with God. Hold steadfast in this gospel truth that we have for eternity. Side by side with others here, serve and love others with this unity in the gospel. Do not hold tightly to the stuff of this world. Don't make the pleasures and indulgences of this life your God. Rather, have an eternal view to everything around you. Know that worshiping Christ today is valuable because it is something that you will want to do for eternity. Know that those you interact with have some relationship to are souls that will last forever. Your name is not guaranteed to be made great in this life. You are not guaranteed reward or recognition for humbly serving others in need. In fact, serving with Christ as your Lord may not have much good for you at all in this life. In fact, it might be quite the opposite. But know this to be true, or as verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, Jesus. James 4.10 uses this same teaching. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Christ has secured the blessings for you on the cross, and through faith in him, we share this rich inheritance that we have for eternity. Finally, for what purpose or to what end is this done? All of this culminates in one goal, one purpose, that we see here at the end of, in Philippians 2, verse 11. To the glory of God the Father. This is the driving purpose of Christ, his love, his obedience, and his humility. It's also the purpose of his super-exaltation, to be our Lord. One of the battle cries of the Protestant Reformation was Soli Deo Gloria, or... For the glory of God alone. Out of this truth, the other solos of the Reformation flowed through Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in the scriptures alone. This is to be our primary purpose in all that we do, whether we eat or we drink or whatever we do, our worship of God, our interaction with others, our calling at work or as a student. Our purpose should be for his glory. This truth was important enough to be the very first question of our Westminster Shorter Catechism. And notice the eternal view this answer responds with. The question, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, for your promises for eternity. We pray along with Apostle Paul for you to make our love abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In Christ's name we ask. Amen.